the long journey from Athens to Corinth, and next he runs into this very interesting couple of people, and they wind up being allies in the Christian faith. If you go to Romans chapter 16, who could someone, Charlie, could you look up Romans chapter 16, verses 3 to 5? We're looking at Priscilla and Aquila. I want to go back to them because we're going to see a long list of people that the Lord puts right there in Paul's life to encourage him. We see Priscilla and Aquila. Then we're going to be seeing Justice and then Crispus. Sosthenes turns out to be a really good friend of Paul. And then we see all these people. And then all of a sudden at the end of the chapter, here comes Apollos. That's a big name. And so here's some very, very wonderful Christians. And where they come from is even more fascinating than the fact that they love Paul so much. Go ahead, Charlie, if you have that. Yes, sir. Romans 16, verses 3 to 5. Uh, 16, verses 3 to 5. Good job, Charlie. I had the same problem. Some of these names are hard to, they're really hard to get, to get out, you know. I don't even really know. I guess Eponidas or Epeonidas, that's a tough one. But you can see here that the Lord never forgot about Paul. He put people in his way. And we see that our, the Lord Jesus Christ himself is with Paul. Here's what I believe is happening. I believe when we see Priscilla and Aquila, we already went through this. We talked about what was their profession? Does anybody remember? Yes. I used to think when I was younger, the tent making, when I, when I used to hear messages, nobody ever really talked about it. I remember hearing message about what Paul did, and he just, hey, he's a tent maker. Okay. I never really got in, and I really never uncovered the stones about what a tent maker really did. A tent maker was very lucrative business back then. And you had to have great skill to make a tent because you were doing it for soldiers. You were doing it for those that were coming in through the town, through some of the ports. You know, you see down here, if you go down to Curtis Bay and you go to the back road, you'll see all these great big pavilions down there storing some of the main goods that come in overseas that go to our stores and that, that, that uh, give us some of our goods. And they're kept under cover. And this was Paul's job to make tents in order to be able to make money and evidently, he did pretty well for himself enough that he would go in and he would work, gather enough money, and he could keep going. And Priscilla and Aquila are both tent makers, and so look at the help that the Lord gives him because that was a very physically demanding job. And now you have to think beyond that, how are you going to be a tent maker when you just got beaten in Philippi and you got stripes on your back and you were laying in jail for a week? I mean, he would, Paul was beaten profusely by this time. He had already had several stripes and he was almost killed. Remember, he was stoned? And there he is making tents. So the Lord gives him Priscilla and Aquila, and they're there to help him. And we see this backing up. Paul doesn't forget them. As Charlie read, that Priscilla and Aquila are my helpers in Christ Jesus. Well, they were also his helper, helpers in industry. And that's very, very important. And we see how they stick with him. They're of the same craft. Paul was bred a scholar, yet he had also, we see record, of him having an incredible trade. He shared this bond with Aquila and Priscilla. He was a tent maker or an upholster, basically what he was. 
Do you ever have a do you have a real easy time right now finding a good upholsterer when you have expensive furniture? Huh? Huh? It's not easy, is it? That's that's quite a that, that's quite a craft to be able to do that. You know, try to find a good upholsterer to 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 take furniture and expensive furniture and preserve it. That's why people are always buying new furniture because they can't find people to fix it. He made tents for the use of soldiers and shepherds. He made them of cloth, leather, or skins. He made them out of coverings, uh, like of the temple, and had been, like they'd been made in the, the days of Moses. And there was an old Greek saying that 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 was uh, quote unquote sub polybus or under skins, which meant to live in a tent was to live under skins. And Paul would know how to do that. The Jewish tradition was to leave children learning estates, but it was the work of the father to leave their sons with a trade, and Paul's father had taught him a trade. So as we move forward, we see that Paul, as a Pharisee, he was bred under the feet of Gamaliel. Not only did he know how to preach and he knew how to teach, he was also a student of the law. He also had skills with his hands, and I think that's very important. He would pay much for his own travel expenses. He would pay for his food and his clothing. We see that Matthew Henry had given a marvelous deduction about the craft of Paul, where he said, He that had so much excellent work to do with his mind, yet when there was occasion, did not think it below him to work with his hands. Even those that are redeemed from the curse of the law are not exempt from the sentence, In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread. And Matthew Henry goes all the way back to Genesis, where I was listening, well, I was listening to a message, and then also Pastor Olson backed this up last week when he said that, that there was never a condemnation or a curse to work hard and to work for your family. Why? Remember, Adam was working before there was ever even sin. Remember, the Lord gave him dominion over the garden, and he named the animals. He worked. He got up. He didn't just lay around enjoying all the fruits and all the garden. He got up and he worked. You know, this is the kind of God that we have and we worship. He works for us every minute of our lives. You know, we're always praying about healing. You ever think about that? You ever think about when we pray, the Lord, give us this day our daily bread? When I think of that, I don't think it's just the bread from man, the manna from heaven. You know, the Lord sent manna, and that was a very doctrinal message about how the Lord is Jehovah Jireh, the great provider of all things. But did you ever think about his name, Jehovah Rapha, or Jehovah Rapha, the great physician? Do you know that at no time, in the, as this earth has been in existence, one infinitesimal second, there has never been a time where he has not been healing? Think about it. Just for you to sit there and to be able to hear me and to see and to listen the things that have to go on into your body that have to be in sync perfectly for you to have health, the Lord is behind that. Lisey. Right. Right. Exactly. Here's the great, that's a great point. This is a great physician. It keeps everything together. I mean, just when you lift something up, you're tearing muscles in your body and they have to repair themselves. When you're working out and your muscles start getting bigger, your muscles are always tearing and they always have to be healed. All of your cells in your body, 
There's all kinds of work that the Lord does to keep you going. And by His grace, when you have very hard, very hard health and you're healed, I mean, just look at what happens when you cut your finger. Does it stay bleeding for the rest of your life? Isn't it amazing how it just goes away? Oh, but that's evolution. If evolution were true, it might take you a million years to heal that cut. That'd be bad. <laughs> Lisi. Right. That all that's all by design, right? That doesn't just happen. I mean, we get into the creation thing. We could be here a while, that's for sure. But we see how the applications here, that's a very good point. Aquila and Priscilla, the sad part about them, and we're going to see going forward, there are a lot of people that the Lord puts in their way. They were just kicked out of their home. And their Paul is there to encourage them. Claudius had kicked them out of Rome. He was starting to expel, especially the Christian Jews. But since he didn't really differentiate, many Jews were kicked out. And how we know this is when you start reading book, the book of Romans is written to the dispersed Jews that are kicked out of their homes. And he writes them. He hadn't even been to Rome yet. He's already writing the book of Romans to encourage them and to show them, listen, don't give up. I know that it's a real tough time out there. And he's, that's, he, he writes the book of Romans to give them the truth. We see here that Paul, he maintained his journeys by his own hand as not to make the gospel burdensome to others. Could I ask Jacob, could you read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 9? And could I also ask Greg, could you look up 2 Thessalonians 3 and, verse, and read verses 8 through 10 after Jacob's finished? That's 2 Corinthians 11, verse 9, and we're looking at Paul's independence here and how he was very, very, uh, uh, he, he, he was very concerned about making sure that he wasn't a burden to anybody else while he was out there doing all this hard work. Excellent. But Paul then writes to the church of Thessalonica and how he worked diligently to earn his own living. Greg, if you have that, 2 Thessalonians 3, 8 to 10. And I think that that statement really, it really holds true today. Well, it should. That if you don't work, you don't eat. Well, that's really not the, uh, definitely not the uh, foundational principles of our government anymore. It's now if you don't work, you can eat. Now if you don't work, we'll give you all you want. If you do work, we're going to steal from you. It's basically the way it's going, but we're at work, and that's what Paul did. Here we see verses in the book of Romans. We see how Paul valued and loved his fellow laborers. And we saw how he puts, the Lord puts us in places and he never leaves us void of Christian fellowship. We see in Romans 16, 1, I commend you, Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is in Kentria, 
that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succor of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, once again here, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. And we see that Paul is in good company, and we see that there's Priscilla and Aquila's there all already, both were tent makers in verse 3 and verse 4. It says that Paul reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks in Acts 18, verse 4. And then, here's a big one, in verse 5, And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And all this is happening, and here comes Silas and Timothy, his dear friends, Timothy, who he had been mentoring, and they're back with him now. And Silas, he's faced all kinds of danger now. Timothy's there, and we see that he reasoned with the Greeks and the Jews, and he gave them the gospel. Silas and Timothy were on their way, and this really excited Paul, and he loved this. We see that eventually Timothy would go back to Thessalonica, and Silas would go to Macedonia, most likely back to Philippi. But once again, the Roman Gentiles had absolutely no desire to differentiate between what type of Jew came from certain areas. That's when they pushed out Priscilla and Aquila. And all the while we're reading this, we start to see Gallio. We're going to find out something very interesting about him, which I'll give a little light on at the end of the class. So here we have Paul preaching to the Jews and dealing with them. And we take, we take no, notice of a much different approach to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to strange people. But Paul did not use tactics of manipulation. What he had done was he had used every tool he could in the Old Testament to preach to them and to remind these Jews where they came from and exactly what Moses said. And what happens here is when Gallio takes over, and what happens is the Jews grab Paul physically, and they take him in. What do you think they were doing? Taking him in to give him a citation for a parking ticket? They were taking him in to kill him. We just read about Gallio. What happens is, Gallio said, I don't understand these things. And if you Jews are going to bring him in, and you just want me to beat him, and you want me to kill him, I'm not doing it. And this is what this is leading up to. Remember what Christ had just said. There are those here that are there for you. You preach and don't hold back. He even used Paul's enemies to protect him. Gallio could have brought him in immediately and had him killed and executed. And all of a sudden, the Jews, they grab Sosthenes, who turns out to be a friend of Paul and a minister to Paul. If you study about him, they beat him. The Jews bring him in and they actually beat this man because they were furious at Gallio. And all of this is coming together. And here Silas and Timothy are there praying with Paul. This is what I think happened in these verses, in these 17 verses. I think Paul went to his knees and he was in probably harsh tears. And he said to the Lord, I've had enough. This is getting hard. I don't think he was trying to quit. But I think he was saying, Lord, what do I do? I'm scattered. I'm going into these hard lands. This is not getting any easier. This is very frightening for me. What do I do? And I, this is when the Lord appears and he starts talking to him. He's like, don't worry about it. I've got this. While you're in Corinth, not a hair on your head is going to be touched. So he's there for 18 months of rest, basically. Lisey.
Yes. Right. That's right. That's and it, you know we can, you can just guarantee this. We talked about this a little bit this past Wednesday night. If you're alone, you're alone for a reason. That is a vocation as a Christian. The Lord has given you. Will it persist? Most likely not. The Lord knows what you need. He knows when you need to be alone. He knows when you need to have people around you. He knows exactly where you are, and He knows what to do. And and if you ever get discouraged, go right to these verses, because Paul is in the middle of this, and Christ comes out of nowhere. Don't worry. Don't worry. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff. What? You notice the word paraclete? You won't find that in most dictionaries. What is a paraclete? Huh? Yes, the consolation. The Lord promises a consolation. Here, we live in a day and age where everybody, many people hate God. They distort God. They say that He's just some kind of a cosmic voyeur looking into their window trying to destroy Him. He sends a comforter. He says, Paul, I will comfort you. And I promise you the Lord will comfort you. He will. And that comforter is your paraclete. And what paraclete is, in the Greek language, is the one that walks beside you. You don't have to see him. He's there if you love the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't love him, go guess what? If you, don't, if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, if you do not believe he's your Savior, if you have not repented of your sins and if you have not asked him into your heart and, and received salvation from him, then guess what? It's very simple. You don't have him standing next to you. I believe everybody here does. In my heart, I believe we together have been growing as a Christian family. But I can say this, if you don't, or if you know somebody that don't, today's the day to do it. Because what Paul says, I just proved to you that Jesus Christ is resurrected. He went to Paul. He told Paul, I will be with you. No matter what, you have Christ with you who can be against you. I think that's a wonderful encouragement. Let's go, as we go forward... We see here, Paul got furious. He goes and he gives the gospel, and Christ had said over and over again, he had said, you go into these towns, they are going to revile you. They are going to hate you. And if they do, you shake the dust off of your feet, you go into the next town, and I can promise you this. Whatever town does that to you, whatever town rejects me, and you go there and you go to profess my name and possess my Christianity... They think Sodom and Gomorrah was bad. Where do they see Tyre and Sidon? And let me tell you something. Where do they see the United States of America? This country has rejected Jesus Christ. Categorically. Everywhere you look. But you know, I believe there are way more than 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. And I love that. And I believe that's why the Lord still protects us. We see that these approaches that Paul gives are from his heart, and they are truth. He persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. This teaches us the urgency of Paul's preaching to the Corinthians. He would have been persuading them in the works and person of Jesus Christ, and we get a great picture of this in his first letter to the Corinthians. Let me read that to you real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, we read, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, 
But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And he asks the question in verse 20, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And Paul is saying this very simply. I have degrees piled a mile high with theology and with law. But with all of that, none of it. I never. He's saying, I never used to believe in Jesus Christ. Look at the transformation. Once Paul has been knocked off of his donkey on the way to Damascus and the Lord got a hold of him, he never stops preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He loved it. Lisa. Right. Right. He's not saying, hey, I was just because I was a leader of the synagogue, I was a saved man. No. He, he rejected, he reviled, right. and he went after Christians. So that just is proof that you know, every individual has to be really um, looking inwards at themselves first. And then also, you know, leadership can disappoint you. You know, there, there are plenty of people. I was reading somebody on. Mm. Wrote a book, a uh, booklet. Um, I can't remember what it's called now, but anyway, just real quick, he just he said uh, this this booklet. It was like like a tract, and it was way back. I can't remember what year it was written, and it literally saved clergymen. Mm. Right. And um, yeah, and apparently, like individuals all over the place were getting saved, but even mm. clergymen were getting saved. So Paul is really admitting to something that we should all know. Right. Well, this happened during the Great Awakening. There were many pastors that came over from Europe that they did not believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. They didn't believe in Christ's meritorious work on the cross. They believed works had something to do. And George Whitfield was there warning them. He wasn't just preaching to the coal miners where they had black faces with soot all over them and little white streams coming down crying when they gave, he gave them the gospel, which is exactly what happened. He was going into the elders and the deacons. He was saying, listen, you're the five virgins that don't have oil in your lamps. That's what he was saying. You know what the five virgins... I'm going to give you a real quick lesson on this five. I've been studying this and reading about it and listening about it. Five virgins that didn't have oil in their lamps that went out and came back. They say, basically, the word picture of the oil was the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the Holy Spirit in his lamps. They didn't have saving faith. This is what Paul is trying to pour his heart out on this missionary journey that eventually comes to America through his work, through his work in Europe. Many, many years later, he's trying to show the difference between the true gospel and the endless lies that are out there. 
And I think we can learn from that because everywhere we go are around us, there are so many religions that teach another gospel that does not honor Jesus Christ. And we have to be very careful with that. Paul is pressed in the Spirit to implore those in Christ that he is more pressed in the Spirit when his fellow laborers, Silas and Timothy, arrive. They had brought Paul great tidings from the churches back in Antioch and Jerusalem and were ready to be of great assistance. And then with all of this and all this adulation, Paul goes in, he preaches, and he's mocked. Well, Matthew 10, 14, And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words... When you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust off your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. This is a grim warning to those that reject the presentation of the gospel that gives eternal life. It's a complete rejection. He shook off the dust. Many, Christ did this. You know, when you're, we're not supposed to, if you go and you're, and you're witnessing and you're telling people about the Lord and somebody comes back at you and they're violent, you are to get away from them. And the Proverbs over and over talks about meddling with a brawling woman or an angry man. And you have to be very careful with this. We do our job, we go forward. If you get some kind of hard reaction, the best thing to do is get out. And that's what Paul did here. He shook off the dust. They're blasphemers. They are of Satan. Romans, Revelations 13.1 says, that's Revelations, not Romans. 13.1, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads were the name of blasphemy. When people blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ, they are not led by Christ. They're led by Satan. And Paul was very extremely taken back by this. Paul here, what he does, he discharged himself from then. He had not given up on the work, but he departed from these lost souls. He was sure, and he was, he was very sure that their hearts had been hardened just as Pharaoh. Okay, now that's, that's one part of the message, and we're going to get a little glimpse and get into this harder next week. But then he departed thence. I find this fascinating. Think about this. In verse 7 in Acts chapter 18, it says, And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justus, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. Think about the location of this little church. Think about it. Justus has a little church that is adjacent right there to the synagogue. Now you have two names that have come up. Who are the two names there? You see in verses 7 and verse 8? Two big names. There's Crispus, there's Justice, and then we're going to see Sosthenes. Crispus, what's he doing? He's a ruler in the synagogue. What's he doing worshiping Jesus Christ? Don't think that the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, doesn't have people strategically placed in just about every type of situation. You never know who you're going to meet. But there he is, a ruler of the synagogue. And then we're going to see Sosthenes also as ruler of the synagogue. Here's what I believe. I believe they stayed in the synagogue because they were still trying to uphold the truth of what was in the Old Testament. And they were daily going up against the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they had a hard job. But at the same time, they also were teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and having these little church services. Justice has a little... Sur- a little 
How many of you have ever been to any little home church services? Have you ever been, have you ever seen anything like that? I know Jenny has. I grew up with that. And you know, there's sometimes when that's necessary. I think it's hard to do it for maybe a long time, but you know, that's where a lot of little churches start. And that's what happened. Justice put his life on the line and he opened his house up in order that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be properly taught. That's important. Why didn't he just leave and just say, hey, it's so much easier to close my house down. I don't have to feed anybody anymore. I don't have to put the books out on the chairs. I don't have to get the piano ready. I don't have to do all that. Why don't I just go into the synagogue and just let it go? Well, something bothered him. And it bothered Paul. And Paul came in and he would preach. And that's where he did his work. And the Lord had that place there for him. And then we see Crispus. He's a synagogue, a ruler of the synagogue. He's working and he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then there's Sosthenes. So look at all these people that we're seeing coming out of the woodwork. It says, And he departed thence, in verse 7, and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, and one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And there's Crispus. Verse 8, The chief ruler of the synagogue believed in the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians... Hearing, believed, and were baptized. I mean, here you are in Corinth, a place that was synonymous with debauchery. You have these little tiny churches, and here are people getting saved, and they're getting baptized. Isn't that incredible? I mean, as Christians, that should fill your heart with joy. It really should. Lisa. Right. Right. That's right. It's always the little areas, the little churches. Many times, little churches, 25, 30 people. That's a great point. But Paul, here, as he's giving the gospel, he runs into these, into these rulers of the synagogue. You can imagine how this encouraged him. There's people being baptized, and with all of this, the crescendo happens. There he is praying, and Paul would pray sometimes, according to, you know, if you study, you read, read, you read commentaries, you read books and on, you should, really good commentaries. He would pray all night. If something bothered him, he would be up all night praying. How would you feel if you were praying all night and something was really bothering, and all of a sudden Christ came out of nowhere and talked to you audibly? Well, he just did. <laughs> He's talking to us right now through Scripture. Read your red letters. He's not just talking to Paul. This is here for us. He says, read my word. In the, beginning, he, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. We're beholding his glory right now. Why do you put your Bible down? I mean, we can't read it 24 hours every minute, but I'll tell you what, we need to spend a lot of time in it because he's encouraging us right here. He says here, as we lead up to these verses, Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall settle knee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. Now, does this mean that Paul is never going to get hurt from this point forward? That his ministry is going to be nothing but a Disney cakewalk all the way to the end and he can just go out and do what he wants? No, this was a period of time that the Lord gave Paul, and we see the period of time woven in these verses. It's 18 months. He's going to have a year and a half here in Corinth, and the Lord says he is going to have peace at this point. And that's what the Lord does in our Christian lives. He gives us these times of peace. But if you love the Lord, 
be expected hard times may come. And we still need to stay close to the Lord. And he was teaching this to Paul. He was saying, Paul, keep going. Now we're going to have to finish here, but I want to just say this about next week and what's coming up. It's extremely important. What happens after this, it says in verse 11, he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Paul never gave up. You can imagine why. The Lord talks to you in a vision. That's going to give you some real, uh, a real recharge in your lithium battery. <laughs> That's going to help you to really keep going. And he tells Paul, keep going, don't hold back. Do not hold back. And that's very important because I think a real problem today is a lot of so-called Christian leaders, they only can only they give so much, but they hold back. They don't let it go like Paul did. I think Paul didn't miss much, if anything. And then, then all of a sudden, here, remember what the Lord said. Be not afraid. Here we see He teaches the Word of God among them. And when Gallio was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord of Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. What does it mean that they brought him? Did they go down and get a warrant and have him properly arraigned and arrested with handcuffs and bring him down into the interrogation room? No, they grabbed him physically and they pulled him in front of Gallio, the proconsul. Gallio is a very interesting person. It turns out that he had a younger brother. Does anybody know who Gallio's younger brother was? I know it might be a little tough. Lisa? Yes, Seneca. Seneca, we're going to learn about, was a tragedian. He was an incredible playwright. He had incredible power in Rome. And guess who? And we're going to finish with this. As we bring this together, leave you with a cliffhanger. Guess who he's tutoring right now as we speak? Who do you think he's tutoring? He's tutoring Nero. Nero is his understudy right now. And he tutored a lot of the big names in Rome. He was given that power. And Nero is the one that's going to take charge. And all of a sudden, a lot of Christians are going to be facing the fire. And this 18 months is going to be up with Paul. And Paul eventually is going to face Nero. So we can see this. Lisa. Yeah. Anakin. Yeah. Well, see, a lot of that Star Wars was written, and what's his name? Lucas said himself, or wherever it was, he said that he based a lot of it on biblical principles. He did. And you see this coming together right now. This is all forming. So, in behind the scenes, we're going to look at Seneca next week. We're going to look at Gallio, and we're going to see exactly what Gallio was up to. And then all of a sudden, the big question is why did they beat Sosthenes? Why did they take him? Well, I'll give you something to think about. The Jews were so furious. We come to find out that Paul later on talks about Sosthenes as being a minister to him and being a friend of him. I believe they took Sosthenes and they beat him in front of the proconsul to make a statement. And that's basically what happened. And so all this is kind of forming. And then at the end of the chapter, as we move forward, we're going to see some other interesting things happen. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Apollos appears. And we're going to learn about Apollos. So let's finish with that and we'll get ready to prepare our hearts for on the Lord's house this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank Thee, Lord, for these words. We thank Thee, Lord, for preserving them for us, that they are Thy word and that they have power. We pray that we'll hide them in our hearts so we might not sin against Thee. 
We thank Thee for those, Lord, that are here this morning that have not been able to be here, who have been ill and are back with us. And Lord, we're so thankful for that. We pray that Thou would just bless us. Be with Pastor Coleman as he leads us this morning. And I pray that Thou would open our hearts to receive Thy Word and to love it and to use these words, Lord, to witness for Thee. And we thank Thee and praise Thee for it's not in we pray. Amen.